1: Welcome back to the show. Today we have Nathan McCann. He's the president at X-Ledger. Nathan, welcome to the show.
0: Kevin, thank you for having me. Yeah, Great to join you today.
1: Yeah, I'm actually really excited to have you on the show. I I think what you guys are doing at X-Ledger is very innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not an easy question to answer for me, <laughs> but, uh, but I'll, do, I'll give my best shot to be sure. brief. Um, I was born in Taiwan. Oh, wow. My parents were missionaries, yes. and I grew up there for several years and then ended up in Texas. Uh, from there, uh, everything from private school, Chinese school, home school, public school, uh, I think I, I, I run the gamut.
1: Interesting. So, you went to the Advanced Training Institute. What did you take and why?
0: Sure. It was actually a unique organization uh, that was designed to train around apprenticeship. And so, I actually had started my first company when I was 16 uh, in the technology field, building and selling computers and doing networking and consulting uh, for technology, and uh, eventually... Uh, ended up at Advanced Trading Institute in Chicago and worked in their computer department to help them migrate away from a System 38 uh, IBM mid-range system to a client-server computing environment.
1: Interesting. Okay, so walk us through your journey up until X-Ledger, and then we'll, we'll dive into that.
0: Sure, sure. I... Once I left from uh, Advanced Training Institute in Chicago, I ended up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. Okay, I had been recruited there uh, by a friend that I had learned technology from when I was in my early teens. And shortly after that, uh, the company was acquired by a company out of Hong Kong that wanted it just as a tax write-off and shut everything down. And so I was then recruited uh, by Accenture, and, which was Anderson Consulting at the time, but Accenture today, okay. and uh, was one of the first two individuals hired on to try to build a help desk and uh, technology services
1: so um, very early support
0: on practice. Yes, yes. And so did that uh, for about seven years. Uh, between six and seven years, and then eventually left Accenture to start my own consulting practice. I um, have been entrepreneurial uh, since I was young and just wanted to take on something on my own. Did that until September 11, uh, 2001 uh, occurs, and 9-11, and then uh, ultimately, um, Continued that for a couple of years, although th- through that downturn, uh, some some rough times, and then eventually uh, consulted with an organization uh, that a friend of mine owned in Oklahoma called Kelpro, and he wanted to grow the business and to develop a plan for uh, expanding beyond where they currently were, both uh, geographically as well as uh, monetarily. Uh, and in revenue and in size, and so went there and eventually uh, served as CEO for that company uh, for about five years, and for health reasons was brought to uh, Colorado and eventually connected with the owner, principal uh, founder and owner of X Xledger uh, through my connection with the uh, ownership at Kelpro, Tim Keller. And so once I met Jarlis Sky, we met the very first day we met, we, we sat down and discussed and learned backgrounds together and, and uh, it was sort of the weirdest interview I've ever had, but frankly, <laughs> uh, identified we, we knew we were going to work together uh, from that point forward and, and that I, I brought something that could help uh, the organization uh, at least that was the belief, and uh, we've been working together to, to help build uh, X-Ledger in the United States uh, since uh, 2011, when we incorporated here. But X-Ledger is actually uh, – was founded in 2000 and was already well-established uh, in Europe at that time. Okay.
1: So, what exactly does XLedger do? And walk us through your journey there because you've been there for just under a decade now. Is that correct?
0: That's correct. That's correct. So, XLedger um, globally, but in specifically in this context in the United States, uh, we are a cloud based uh, ERP, Enterprise Resource Planning, which doesn't mean uh, anything to a lot of people, but essentially a financial-centric business management solution. So it starts with the core of the financial uh, capabilities of the application and then extends beyond that into uh, everything from elements of CRM to logistics, purchasing payroll, HR components, uh, project, uh, accounting, things like that. Very cool. So walk
1: us through... Like You just quickly covered it, but walk us through the types of companies that use Xledger. And, and you don't have to give comp, like specific companies, but maybe some examples of how companies actually sure. leverage your technology.
0: Absolutely. So first of all, Xledger is designed for mid-market organizations who are really global in nature or at least geographically dispersed. Okay. So, multi-entity organizations um, that are dealing with complexities around their business uh, in terms of language and currency, multi-currencies, uh, and multi-entity so issues tricky. and consolidation, those types of those types of things, because all of the capabilities around meeting the global nature of a business, uh, the back office and needs. Uh, around a company, mid-market enterprise organization uh, is built into the core foundationally of Xledger rather than being an add-on later on. Oh, you want to report across multiple entities? Just add this on. Instead, we've developed and and generated and built that at the core and uh, foundationally within the application. Got you.
1: The other thing that – well, you can you can tell me if I'm correct or not – is – the fact that you guys have a bunch of different offices and customers globally really helps me as a business expand into other regions. Because even something as complicated – well, it's so it sounds simple, but even as something as complicated or simple as getting paid across a geographical border in a different currency – can be really, really tricky, depending on what you do. Do you agree with that?
0: Or what are your thoughts around that? I do. I think that's exactly right. And I agree that that's a challenge for organizations, not only on the payment processing side on the front end, but also on the back end and how they report it. Um, How do they account for the fact that there's multiple currencies? How do those monies move? internationally? How can that be automated so that you're not doing one thing in one application and then walking to your bank, which is nearly impossible these days, but, sure. um, you know, to, to use an online solution and then con- complete a, a transaction later on. We try to simplify that and automate as many of those components as we possibly can. And to give an example sure. of that, as you mentioned earlier, um, Xledger is designed for service-centric organizations, not product, okay. rather than product-centric organizations. So, service-centric industries, consulting and engineering, and real estate, and uh, those types of, um, you know, legal uh, things like that. But also, nonprofits. So and not on the manufacturing side, which is the traditional ERP, but a service-centric uh, ERP. And as an example of that. There's one customer that is based here in the United States but has operations all over the world. In fact, the vast majority of their operations uh, globally are in third-world countries, and so not where you would necessarily think of having well-established business in that sense. And it's an organization called Cure International, and they run hospitals to address clubfoot and uh, cleft palate uh, in children. And so they do it in the emerging world uh, rather than the, the established. And, and they're in about, well, they're in many countries uh, around the world, but they run hospitals and clinics, and they really found it challenging to, to, for their management to understand what was happening, number one, across the globe, um, to really have a, a clear picture of how many surgeries are taking place, what are their costs, uh, what issues exist within those organizations that need immediate attention? How could they report from a monthly standpoint to their donors or their, their foundations, the, those supporting them, um, how they were ultimately doing and uh, where the needs existed and, and where the wins uh, were occurring? And so by getting a solution uh, such as X-Ledger, they were able to go from it being months before they really knew what was happening across the entire enti- organization, entity by entity, to knowing immediately, looking at a dashboard and knowing immediately their cash position in every location, knowing immediately the, the activities that were occurring, knowing immediately what, where, where their needs were, uh, what their supply chain uh, specific requirements were for their, uh, for their hospitals and their clinics, and it just it freed them to be able to um, engage with both their donors, their constituents, as well as those they were serving on the healthcare care side uh, in a much more proactive way as opposed to just being reactive. One of the things that we say is that we allow you, our customers, to grow without borders. Uh, because it scales so easily and you can start in one location and then ultimately end up with multiple entities around the world. And the limitations are simply removed from being able to, uh, being able to grow rapidly uh, and grow extensively.
1: No, it's interesting. And, and the funny thing is, is I know like we booked this interview months ago, but what you guys are doing at this point I think it is actually really quite timely in the sense that I think, obviously, as most people, if not everyone, at this point is basically working remote or from home or, or whatnot, and their their team is spread out. Even maybe just even in the same city, it you don't you you need everything online accessible from your phone or, or, or whatnot, right? And as businesses evolve especially post-COVID, kind of COVID, we're, we're going to need to be able to get our data and whatever we're trying to look up or manage or collect on these different devices and allow our other team members that aren't in the same office as us access to the same live data, right? And you guys have been doing that for a long period of time. And in my personal experience, other ERP systems that I've wor- worked with in the past it amazes me how much you need to be in a physical location actually in front of the software and they don't really have an online component or if they do it's very limited but you guys have basically built this to be cloud-based is that correct to say it's kind of a long-winded version of saying you guys are
0: cloud (laughs) it's it's perfect it definitely sets the stage especially given the days we're in and where we're working from and how we're interacting, uh, with the world around us. Uh, we are cloud. In fact, we were born in the cloud right. in 2000. So long early, before, early on. uh, that's, that's right. And, and in fact, long before that term cloud oh, was ever sure. in vogue. <laughs> it wasn't being used then. Uh, but we, we saw our, our leadership and our founders saw and had a vision for, how the internet would ultimately empower organizations. And we see the benefit of that in these days. Uh, It was, it was, uh, I think last week, or maybe the week before we had a message from a customer that came in and essentially said, Hey, the finance department is up and operational. We're all at home, but everything is working. And it's essentially business as normal. That's awesome. And there are, there are organizations that are really uh, that have challenges. Uh, with being able to get information, uh, the accessibility to it, uh, the fact that they might have to go into an office to access a server, or or, or use a special, uh, you know, application in order to remotely access via VPN or something like that, and when you can just open a web browser on any device, a mobile device, a tablet, your your laptop, a desktop, anywhere, at any time, and be informed. You can make informed, quality business decisions in a more timely way. And that's more important now than ever before. Sure.
1: But I also think that statement that you just made is really good advice for people either with a current business or looking to start a company. You very much need to focus on a global market and allowing people to access their data and your software anywhere as long as they have an internet connection. You could argue that depending on what you're building, you might need an offline component. Maybe, maybe not. But at the very least, people need to be able to access their data remotely, even if maybe it's delayed by hours or, or minutes or whatever, depending on what they're building. But I think just the fact that you guys really focused on building internet first right is a big advantage that you guys are are really have been reaping your whole career but but now very much really getting a a lot of uh usage and and was a really smart decision early on
0: yes i believe that's true and it positions any organization uh at that stage to be able to Leverage a market that they may not otherwise have been able to tap. Sure. And we see that even especially in, in these days, uh, companies are reinventing themselves very rapidly. Right. And to. to be able to have the tool set available to be able to do that and without the limitations that usually come from an on premises type of a, um, environment uh, is liberating to organizations.
1: So you've been at at the company almost 10 years now. The company's been around a couple decades. How have you guys made sure that you guys have stayed relevant and iterated and added new features? Uh, Because in a lot of cases, that's really challenging, right? For, For a company.
0: It is. In fact, I think every company goes through it through cycles. Uh, it's interesting, even that as we decided early on in the company to do something that was, you know, revolutionary at the time or, right. or um, unique, um, and you're driven by because our our original founders came from an on-premises ERP environment, and so they immediately now or then, I should say, uh, are taking steps to innovate and to put new things in, then, you know, a decade goes by, how do you then innovate again? That's the challenge. Um, We are, we live, breathe, (laughs) and (laughs) and frankly, will either live or die based on the innovative nature of our organization and our R&D. And so we have to cultivate that on a very regular basis. And I think as evidence of that, the things that we're currently engaged in and the things that we have been engaged in over the past decade uh, are constantly looking out to say, where do we need to be? Where's where's the, uh, the economic, what are the economic factors that are going to influence this? What are the... Um, uh, factors around geography and around how companies function that are ultimately going to lead to where we go and we 've been ahead of the curve many times. We had elements of AI in reading an, an OCR uh, document and identifying how it gets posted in a, uh, in, a, in our system you know years ago more than a decade ago interesting now those are capabilities that are becoming more readily available, even among our competitors, solutions. And so being able to take that action and move ahead uh, is important. And I think in these days, again, organizations will live or die uh, based on their ability to innovate and recreate themselves. We are highly motivated to do that. And I'll give you an example of what motivates us. Unlike the vast majority of ERP solutions on the marketplace today, whether they're SaaS-based and cloud or whether they're on-premises, very few of them have a month-to-month contract. Most of them have at least an annual contract, many of them three years, five years out, oh, and you wow. lock yourselves in. Now, we're not naive. Our customer community is not going to willy-nilly change their accounting system from one month to the next. That's a, right. it, It's a larger endeavor. But we're highly motivated to serve well because our customers choose us every single month. And so by having three or four uh, major upgrades to our application in functionality, in usability, in the user experience, uh, those are the things that we've created a culture internally that feed our desire to serve well. And I think our 97% customer retention rate speaks to our success of being able to do that and that being part of our DNA, which means we're going to be able to do it well into the future.
1: Interesting. So how do you decide, though, what other geographic uh, regions to support? In a lot of cases, I think that just has to do with adding in their currency and, and setting that up because it's more complicated than it sounds. Do you have to wait until a certain number of your customers ask for something or or how do you guys decide where to go? Because it's really easy to chase your tail and build every little feature or big feature that a customer requests, but how do you guys actually decide what to implement and not implement based on or without customer feedback?
0: Yes, that's a great question. I think the first comment related to that that will help set the stage for the the final portion of the answer. And I apologize for the length, but I think the first element there is that uh, ERP solutions and these business management underlying business management solutions historically have been very customized. You know, here's a framework. And then you customize around every unique process or you custom, even if they're not unique, you know, everyone ends up customizing the same processes in place. Right. Xledger has taken a very different approach and that's configuration over customization. And for a couple of reasons, one is that we're a single instance application with more than 10,000 unique entities operating on it at the same time, successfully With a high degree of performance and as a result and and very safely and securely as well but as a result of that it's advantageous for us to create an environment where you can configure and toggle switches on and off for capabilities that an organization may have in order for it to either appear simple but have complexity behind the scenes or maybe even have a degree of complexity that's necessary for a larger uh, or, or just more complex organization. And th- I make that comment first to, to set the stage Not because so. we don't meet those needs that every customer has by simply identifying that, okay, you have this need, we'll custom make that for you. We don't take that approach. Instead, we ensure that the feedback that we do get from our customers, as well as what our R&D and our visionaries are anticipating and innovating around, ultimately can benefit the vast majority or a large portion of our customer community. And as a result, that allows us to be laser focused in ensuring that we're developing capabilities that are going to be beneficial to the whole rather than one. Right. And also, it makes us significantly more efficient at being able to focus where we're going to get the most bang for the buck. And our customers then get the value around those capabilities without having to pay for them through upgrades or, or, or as add-ons they they gain the economies of scale that trickles all the way down to our customers.
1: Interesting. So, obviously, anybody that's ever built kind of software, especially from the UX, UI, design, usability side of things, how do you guys make sure you have the best user experience and consistent user experience across the platforms when you're integrating with a bunch of other third-party vendors, because we all know that some people's APIs and integrations are a lot better than others. And as somebody that's done it a bunch of times, it can be really challenging from a user experience perspective to make it all consistent and good when sometimes you have to make sacrifices because you don't have a choice. because You're reliant on a third-party tool or integration or API. How do you guys handle that stuff?
0: Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, we prioritize uh, what we do uh, on the R&D side in the development. We prioritize performance first. Oh, smart, okay. Because we believe that it doesn't really matter what you can ultimately achieve. If you're not going to wait long enough for the application to to actually do it. Smart. So performance is first and is absolutely paramount. It has to be key. And that's from the database layer of performance all the way through to the application layer of what the user is experiencing. The user doesn't see the database itself, right. but the database structure and how it's uh, created and how it's crafted is paramount to how the application will actually perform. So performance we prioritize as number one, and then usability. Again, doesn't matter whether or not something will achieve it if no one will use it, 100%, or doesn't understand how to use it. And so we're really prioritizing second that user experience and the usability and the simplicity. If that menu is never going to get used, hide it all together. Sure. I mean that may sound like something super simple. This entity does not have any need for purchasing and payroll. Right. Well hide purchasing and payroll. Yeah. You know, it, it's it makes advice. it just simpler yeah. in that in, in that context. So those are two and then lastly, obviously just as important. But lastly is the functionality. We will err on the side of not being as complex or not having some of the customized um, solutions um, that maybe a competitive uh, environment may have as long as we can meet the needs of our end customers well. So again, we're not going to build a manufacturing and, and waste management and operations Uh, application capabilities just to have that functionality if they're not ultimately going to serve our end customer well. So, performance first and then usability and, uh, and then functionality and capability of the application. And that, like you said, that comes with a significant challenge about how you balance all of those. Every release, of X ledger will encompass all three of those areas, but they will be within priority. Sure.
1: No, it's interesting that you bring up the speed thing, because I think so many people when they're building an app, especially, um, people that have potential target markets in maybe, um, well, outside of North America or, or some places where the internet is a lot slower. Speed is everything to those people, especially if they're using your app on a slower cell phone tower and they don't have Wi-Fi, right? There's certain parts of the world That's that right. don't have the speed. Like we're we're kind of spoiled in, in North America, right? And, and so there's a lot of people that don't have it. Even in North America, there's people that don't have it, right? Or if you're... Uh, checking your data on on a train or public other public transit sometimes you're, you're not in the fastest spots or you're in a tunnel or, or whatever there's a million things that happen where i think a lot of people sometimes for, forget about slower connections and and the fact that you guys are really focused on, on making the app fast is, is actually really good advice for other people out there they're building
0: uh software Yes, make the footprint as light as possible, sure. So that it will, you know, travel and traverse all of these, <laughs> uh, all of these towers and and uh, you know switches and data junction points uh, in such a way that the latency is reduced. We we can't control the computing environment each customer ultimately has. Right from an organization like Cure that has operations in the far reaches of Africa sure. to an organization that has an operations just north of here in, you know, in, in downtown Denver or, or something like that, they have very different expectations of what that performance looks like. And we have to function in all of those environments. Sure.
1: So do you tailor the experience based on connection speed or
0: not really? We don't, okay. and we usually find that very few of our customers would ever experience any issue uh, in terms of performance. So we we have data centers and our application distributed across the globe in such a way as to meet those uh, the primary demand uh, customers well, and. Uh, the vast majority find that the performance is entirely sufficient. There's technological things that you can do. Sure. If every transaction that you do within the application has to go back and touch the database, yeah. it's going to be way slower. Sure. But there are all of the analytical and business intelligence tool sets that we have within our application, which we called FLEX. Okay. When you do an inquiry for FLEX, You could actually unplug or disconnect your Wi-Fi and completely manipulate, drag and drop, move the data, use pivot charts and tables, chart chart it, graph it. You can do all of that and not even have to be connected. That's very cool. Because we've captured those data elements and then allow you the freedom to be able to manipulate it using your current computing resources that are localized. So that's an example of some things that we do to make... uh, to make the system perform as fast as it possibly can for every customer in any location.
1: Very cool. So how do you, how does security play into all this? Cause that adds another layer of extreme complexity when you're trying to be a glo- like access data globally and fast, like, and make the application fast.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. It is something that we hear in every Dialogue. You know, any sales uh, dialogue. Anytime an auditor uh, needs information, uh, one is that we're certified uh, internationally for all the major international and localized um, uh, certifications. Uh, we have those. Whether that's something like an ISAE 3402 or an ISO 27001. Things like that, we are obviously, you know, we meet the stringent requirements and and are audited usually by large, um, you know, Ernst and Youngs or or those types of organizations.
1: Right. Okay. Very cool.
0: Further, we recognize that it's a daily thing. Initially, we thought everyone's issues around security when when our pro- when a prospect or customer would would ask a question, we initially thought they were just thinking that well, my data is not secure. Anyone can access it any time. Or what if your other customer could access my data? That part is less of the issue, although I think for some, that that's certainly something that they need to address. Right. And and we're a very secure, role-based, multi-factor authentication uh, system. Most of the time, though, Though security might be the word, most of the time our customers or prospects are concerned about control.
1: Right.
0: You know, when it's sitting on a box in my office, I feel like I have control. Sure. When it's sitting in the cloud somewhere and nobody really <laughs> knows where it is at any given time. Sure. You feel like you have a lack of control. Yeah. And so it's helping, it's helping inform again, our customers and our prospect community, that the data is always going to be yours. The data is never going to be inaccessible to you because of business continuity and disaster recovery technologies and capabilities that that will ensure its availability to you. But beyond that, we have found that there's a sense of security that that control brings meaning. I have a physical server in my office. Right. I'm safe.
1: Interesting.
0: And Alert Logic, um, security a research organization, uh, did some research within the last year, eighteen months, whenever it was, that basically said number the number of attacks on localized on-premises systems is significantly higher. Than the number of attacks on a cloud solution and the rate of success of those attacks is even higher than that, you know, goes up even, you know, higher still. And the reason is because even enterprise organizations, small to medium sized enterprise organizations, it it, gets expensive to put in, the highest level enterprise security solutions. Yeah, We have to do that for right. our customers' yep. sake, yep. but not every customer can afford to do all of those measures independently. Right. Yet they get the value of being part of it's almost like a co-op. We call it a community cloud right. and they get the, all the benefits that come with that community.
1: Well, and you can't just, like, deploy it once and then leave it. Like, you need to be on security. Like, if I was hosting my own server for my company in my basement, for example, or in the office, I need to be on that security daily. Like, it sounds crazy, but no, like, you need to be on it daily and you need somebody on it, like, full time. If not, like, having a team of people. So, for you guys to just handle that for your customers is once they understand the magnitude of doing it themselves that's like a huge selling feature for you guys it has to be
0: it absolutely is and we we also uh, another phrase that we use is run your business not your business system yeah fair <laughs> you know, your, your business systems run your business do what is your core competency and yes we might serve a customer whose core competency happens to be the world of security the vast majority of the customers we serve are not necessarily in that space. Sure. And so they get the benefit of being part of that um, secure community without having to stay up to date and have a significant investment in it. Right.
1: So you mentioned it kind of throughout the show about some of the markets that, and, and customer verticals that um, are your clients, with, and you don't have to give names of clients, but do you want to maybe talk about a few of the other industries that you guys are a really good fit for?
0: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I think for uh, education, okay, both in, in, in all stages from preschool all the way through to higher education, there's significant value and a real movement. Now, in these days, away from solutions that were more on-premises to cloud-enabled right. um, solutions. Beyond that, we have, uh, again, mentioned nonprofit, but anything in the professional services space, okay. engineering, uh, research firms um, would, would be highly valued uh, and, and would be an excellent fit. Um, real estate, where there's a lot of uh, transactions that need to occur in terms of uh, rent rolls or uh, for commercial real estate organizations, uh, being able to automate those payments, the receivable, the invoicing, uh, et cetera. Project-centric organizations uh, would be another... um, Consulting will usually fall in there, engineering, et cetera. But any project centric where there's project accounting and you need to uh, account for where the dollars went, time is spread across multiple projects, multiple customers, and there needs to be a way to track that um, intelligently. No, that's that's interesting. So I would say in the U.S. market, I would add one uh, additional there. Um, and that is uh, that Channel Partners is where we're trying to grow okay, in is, the U.S., one, one of the specific areas of growth. And that is working with organizations that essentially are reselling X-Ledger. So we, we serve our customers who are using X-Ledger indirectly through gotcha. through a channel partner and those could be uh, accounting firms um, uh, for okay. example globally the, those organizations like um, price waterhouse Cooper PWC uh, BDO KPMG etc uh, or it could be um, it could be system integrators um, you mentioned integration earlier it could be those who are who are adding value through doing the implementations, the integrations who are doing consulting around system selection, and then ultimately can bring value there. So those are organizations, I think in the next couple of years where we'll see a pretty significant increase uh, in work and in partnership um, here in the States. Sure,
1: no, th- that makes, makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious, is there any other advice that you would give to entrepreneurs or or people just starting out in a startup or that have been running a company for a while, whether they're in your space or not? I, I think some of the stuff that you guys have learned and the fact that you guys have lasted so long in the cloud space, there, there's got to be some advice or, or something that you see that happens all the time that you would hope people would stop doing
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that uh, that's a great point um i think that the first and foremost is find a need and then meet it really well would be the first thing perfect um there's many ideas out there but uh find a need and meet the need and then serve Really, really well. Differentiate by not only what you offer, but how you offer it up.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: Because more and more organizations, they want a relationship. They want a long-term partner, not necessarily a supplier or vendor. Interesting. In the past, at least in the industries and, and, and the world in which we function and work. So serving really, really well. Now, I would say not least importantly, but but lastly would be that work to build an organization and to build a company based on the value that you deliver rather than the value you think you're going to get back. For example, don't work principally to the sale. Okay. Whether a company, there might be many companies, especially tech companies, that are, uh, it's all about the IPO, or it's all about the acquisition, or it's all about the sale and the exit. Right. But what makes a business great, whether it's big or small, is the value that that business brings in delivery, not necessarily the value it gives in terms of, the return on investment. And I think when we get that sometimes out of order, sometimes we do everything we can um, in business as, as leaders around what the exit is going to be. And we work from the exit back and the exit takes care of itself. If we actually do the other things we serve, well, we have a solution that's meeting a need and we do it in the right context
1: and you say it takes care of itself in the sense that other people will basically tell their friends and you will become like word of mouth kind of will spread and and hopefully somebody that's looking to potentially acquire your business will just basically get found out by somebody else or or what do you mean around that
0: sure meaning that if the value is built principally around the the delivery of a service or uh-huh. a product yeah. that is meeting a need those that want to acquire a business or those that would then generate an exit strategy kind of come to you i see okay in, in that sense sure
1: no I, that that makes that makes a lot of sense is there any other advice you would give to people as we kind of wrap up the show
0: uh, let's see. I mean, from a, and, and you had mentioned, you know, just from a business leader standpoint where they would go, Sure. I would say just focus on positioning your teams to succeed, coaching them, empowering them, and then facilitating the elimination of roadblocks on their behalf. If you bring in the right people and they're positioned well to succeed I think an organization will, will succeed if the need exists and the service that's being delivered is valuable to the audience. No. But in these days, I would challenge any business to eliminate those things that will keep you from being able to change rapidly. Because as we've seen with recent worldwide events, we all have a need to change more rapidly than we sometimes think. We might think we're safe, but there's going to be some external impact that will ultimately drive us forward. So if the inner workings of our business are such that we can affect and adjust and react to change as rapidly as we possibly can with as little impact to our business as possible, those are the customers that are highly ambitious and have really big dreams that I think x could be a very good fit for and that we can serve well.
1: Interesting. You touched on something that I really believe in and I wish the, it seems like the people that need to hear it are the ones that never seem to hear it, is the you need to hire good people and then basically support them and get out of their way and remove the blockers mm-hmm. that are blocking them how do you actually get the people in an organization that don't believe that to be the case to kind of change their mindset on that? Because it's gotta be tricky.
0: It is. Uh, and that's, I think the greatest challenge okay. no, fair <laughs> of, of leadership in, in our day is I, I, I was having a conversation yesterday was actually an interview, um, or a position and we ask the question, what do you like most about team? And what do you like least about, you know, working in a team? Right. And the answer of what I like, they like the least about working in a team is the fact that teams are hard to manage. <laughs> you know, Fair enough, people yeah. are different. They see things sometimes. differently and they're hard <laughs> to manage. And and finding the right people is, is important. We need competent people. Right. Absolutely. Without question, we have to have competent people, but if they don't have high character and they don't fit within our culture, their competence is less effective. Yeah. Interesting. And so finding those that are competent who happen to have the character that fits in the cultural fit within an organization is imperative from the get-go. We've all heard the adage, uh, slow to hire, quick to fire. Sure. But unfortunately it is true. And we have to be willing to make rapid changes. Coaching is required to get people to ultimately increase and improve their skills and maybe see the world from a different perspective and see your business and your customer community differently than they may have before. And for some, they'll be able to make that shift. But if the cultural is not there, very rarely does that get coached away.
1: No, I I think that's actually really good advice. But sadly, we're out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and Xledger and any other links you want to mention?
0: Sure. I would say go to xledger.com and you can find all kinds of information there. You can book a demo. You can contact us. We'd be happy to speak with you. We'd be happy to answer any questions you may have and uh, I really, truly appreciate uh, the time today and uh, and Kevin, it's been uh, it's been it been enjoyable. And I thank you for for having us on.
1: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed our conversation as well, and I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man.
0: Appreciate that very much, Kevin, thank you. Thank you. Blessings to you and and all of your. Uh, hearers of the podcast. You you as well. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.